Hey everybody, you know, we always wonder what the top five villains in the show is, right? Well, I decided that since a lot of people have been kind of doing some top five, top ten countdowns when it comes to MLP, FIM, I decided why not kind of take a chance, take a stab at it, and give my own opinion on who I think are the top five villains in the history of of friendship is magic. Now I know you're thinking that's going to be hard to do since we have a peripheral of villains slash antagonists, but I think when you get down to it, the list I give, you may or may not agree with. And it's going to be kind of ranked basically on potential, if you will, like basically leading up to who is the more diabolical or who was the most di diabolical who was the closest, I should say, in achieving the goal against Twilight and her friends. So, without further ado, let's list the top five villains. Now, yes, it will include some redemptions that have occurred in the show. Those characters will be included. But, you'll just have to wait and see, like, of who or which characters those are. So again, without further ado, uncut un and unscripted, let's take a look at the top five, in my opinion, villains of MLP FIM. Okay, so right off the top, I think the first name that comes to mind, in my opinion, as a top five villain with potential to have probably been more had the series continued or had they been brought back on more than just one occasion, and that is Lightning Dust. Lightning Dust um, is basically looked at as being the Eddie Brock to Rainbow Dash's Peter Parker. The Venom to Spider-Man. Why? Because even though, like Rainbow, she is kind of, you know, egotistic in her own ways, she's a lot more reckless. Even to the point that in her debut episode, Wonderbolts Academy, I think that was the one, maybe I'm wrong, she was kicked out of the Wonderbolts for being a reckless uh, endangerment to all the other cadets there, as well as the Wonderbolts themselves. So, you know, everybody was always wondering what her status was in the show. Were we ever going to see her again after that? And eventually we did back in Season 8. In Season 8, in the episode The Washouts, we saw what the end result was of Lightning Dust. Lightning Dust had taken herself and two other former Wonderbolt uh, cadets, if you will, recruits that also had issues, also had reasonings for being kicked out of the Wonderbolts, and brought them all together to form the Washouts, a very reckless, stunt, daredevil-like uh, group. And it seemed, basically, when you saw this episode, that Lightning Dust was willing to kind of move on, like, you know, she was glad Rainbow Dash had gotten her kicked out of the Wonderbolts because now she could 
be as free as a bird along with those that shared her vision. But there was still that bit of tension or that bit of animosity because the one character that looked up to Rainbow Dash was now starting to look up to these washouts and to Lightning Dust, not realizing what she was getting herself into, and that was Scootaloo. Eventually, in the end, Scootaloo does kind of have her eyes open and realize that although the washouts are cool, some of the ponies involved are not so cool. That includes Lightning Dust, who basically was willing to put Scootaloo in danger even when Scootaloo basically asked, um, has anybody gone over these tricks, you know, you know, to make sure it's safe. So yeah, Lightning Dust, in my opinion, and I know some of you will probably disagree, but Lightning Dust, in my opinion, had the potential, the potential to be a great tier villain, had she been given more time. Like I said, I think she would have been a great MLP answer to Eddie Brock to Spider-Man, Venom to Peter, uh, Eddie Brock to Peter Parker, I should say, and Venom to Spider-Man. I think she would have been that. I think she would had that potential, but she was never given it. But again, it's just, but again, we're just starting off this list here, and Lightning Dust being at the number five spot, in my opinion, you know, shows that although she wasn't around that long to really build upon being a true villain slash antagonist that basically she had the potential. I mean, the comic books, I think, during the early run uh, at IDW did uh, a story where you had all these earlier seasoned villains from the show or antagonists from the show, including Lightning Dust, come together because they wanted to get back at Twilight and uh, her friends, and they all had something in common with each member. But to me, honestly, uh, I look at Lightning Dust as probably being someone that had the potential to be a great uh, villain in the show had she been given more time. But that's just my opinion. Okay, so number four, this is one of the redemption characters that we have. And that is, of course, someone that's very controversial in the eyes of a lot of fans when it comes to her being redeemed and basically, excuse me there, basically going over a 360-180 character overhaul. And that is Starlight Glimmer. Now, when I say that she's a very controversial character when it comes to her redemption is due to the fact of what she had done as a villain. Starlight Glimmer, as a villain, had used a spell to manipulate and brainwash a town to thinking equality was better than having your own destinies, having your own purpose in life. And her plan and of deception was foiled by Twilight and her friends coming to town and seeing through that masquerade. Now, what's funny, now what's interesting about Starlight and why, again, her redemption is looked at in such a controversial way is that throughout various moments of Season 5, we could see her in the background literally spying on Twilight and her friends, following them, you know, everywhere they went until we got until 
until we got to the season 5 finale, the Cutie Remark. Basically, in the Cutie Remark, Starlight, by following Twilight and her friends throughout the season, was basically gathering information and getting a better idea of how to execute her goal. And her goal was to go back in time, use a spell that Starswell had um, created that would allow her to go back in time and prevent the double rain boom, which allowed the cutie marks for the main six uh, to come into play uh, from happening. Because basically, as we find out in the end, when the redemption starts to have its foundation laid, we find out that Starlight's upset at because of the, the reason I should say Starlight's doing this is because she blames the cutie mark for taking away her best friend's sunburst. Not killing him, no, but basically him getting the cutie mark before her, and then because of that, him being sent to Celestia's School of Magic. So she was upset about the fact that the cutie mark had taken away her friend. And she didn't like that, so basically her following Twilight throughout Season 5, her doing what she did in the premiere of Season 5, and then what she was trying to do in the finale was basically she wanted to get back at Cutie Marks. She wanted to basically erase anybody getting the Cutie Marks in Equestria, in Ponyville, uh, and Cantalot for good because it took away her friend. Now, of course, Twilight basically had to show her the end result of her actions if she would succeed. And that's basically Equestria becoming a literal wasteland. In other words... You know, nobody being able to live in the environment that she was potentially going to create because of her hatred or her disdain for the cutie mark and also perhaps some misunderstanding as to why the cutie mark exists. So, Starlight to me at number four as a villain, I think, you know, yes, she's a villain that got redeemed, and has really come into her own as a redeemed character. But when she was in that role, no one can say that she did not come close to accomplishing her goal because she had a misunderstanding. And like I said, I understand people will look at Starlight and say, hey, that the redemption shouldn't have happened and that Starlight should have faced graver consequences. Some have said, why didn't they just send her to Tartarus or something? At least for a month, you know, before she would be um, brought in as Twilight's student. Why didn't they do that? And that's a good question, but I think the message they wanted to send, the lesson they wanted to, you know, send to not just kids but to everybody, is sometimes things happen in the past that you cannot change and you have to accept. So... So, yeah, you know, Starlight, in my opinion, even though she's redeemed and has become one of my personal favorites, definitely as a villain, doing what she did, honestly, I think you can't get any better, you know, as a villain and going into a, redeem, into a redemption than with Starlight. Now, I know some people might say Sunset Falls into the same category. Yeah, Sunset Falls into the same category, but here's the thing. They have a lot of backstory on Sunset. Sunset, basically, long story short, was 
basically, as, I mean, she even said it in Forgotten Friendship. She was a snide little pupil that obviously be, was obviously impatient when it came to magic, magic under Celestia's wing, which is why, you know, it led into her doing what she did, and then her going through, and then her, as a result, going through her redemption in the Equestria Girl series, which a lot of people have felt is probably one of the better redemption stories. But anyway, when you look at Starlight Glimmer, you know, her role as a villain in the show, by far, is probably one of the best ones out there. Okay, so these next three shouldn't be um, any big surprise, but the number three, obviously, is Queen Crystallis. Now, I know some people have said that ever since season two, and if not season six, she's kind of fallen off until the recent season, the last season, that is. But here's why Crystallis is at number three. This character, not once, but twice, came close to taking over all of Equestria. She did it uh, in the Cantalot wedding, the two-part season two uh, finale, by disguising herself as Cadence. She did it again uh, in the two-part season six finale to wear and back again. The point that I'm getting at is this. Despite the fact that she fell on harder times until the final season, Crystalis, on those two occasions, came closer than I think anybody has ever come to really taking over. I mean, she had essentially, um, in the season six finale, you know, she had essentially kidnapped all of Twilight, all of the main cast, the main six, their family, their friends. She'd captured them all. Why? Because... Well, yeah, she had captured them all, put them into these cocoons because they were going to feed off them. The plan was to feed off their love later. Basically, they were harvesting Twilight and her friends uh, for late, to feed on later, which you would think when it comes to MLP, that sounds kind of creepy, but that's basically the truth. That's basically what they were doing. I mean, you even had moments in the season six finale where... When she was confronting Starlight and what people consider the suicide squad of that uh, two-parter. When when you uh, look how she's crawling around, there's a couple of times she crawls over the encased characters. I mean, you see the characters, they're unconscious or just barely going in and out of conscious. They don't know what's going on. And she's just basically crawling around them like, you know, she's, pro she's you know, she's, you know, just... Like I said, she's just crawling around them like she's just proud of what she has now. Proud of her trophy case. Her meal ticket. Now, of course, in the end, it ends up blowing up in her face because she ends up having one of her own changelings uh, who ends up becoming Thorax and the new leader of the changelings basically um, do exactly um, what Crystalis wants. But in a way she doesn't expect. And that's give her all the love. And you would think, well, why would he do that? That makes him more powerful, right? No. What it is, is when Starlight tells Thor, give Crystalis all you love. He, what she's saying is, give it to her in a way 
that's not feeding because she because basically starlight figures out wait a minute they feed off love but if you give it to them there could be another uh, uh, there could be a different consequence or a different effect and that's exactly what happens starlight um and ends up convincing thorax to do that and chrysalis ends up losing her kingdom and her changelings to the side of good because they're now seeing oh wait a minute we don't have to feed off love. We can give love. We can embrace it. So, so yeah, Crystalis, uh, to me, is one of the better villains they've had. Because, like I said, not once but twice she's come close to conquering all of Equestria. There's no doubt about that. She's very stealth in what she does because she's a shapeshifter. She's a changeling. You know, she can change her form into anything she needs. I mean, heck, there's been on various occasions in the final season. And, like I said, with season two and such, where she's disguised herself as a pony. In fact, her pony persona in season, in the last season, I think is called Shutterbuck. Which you would think would be a dead giveaway, but it's not. So, yeah, to me, Chrysalis, I think, to me, at ranking her at number three... She definitely shows that she's one of those top tier villains that, you know, they could have brought back on multiple occasions or made the mainstay villain of the series, series and go from there. But um, they didn't. They didn't. So, but so to me, though, Crystalis, I think, is probably one of the better MLP villains out there. Probably one of the better ones, period, because of, like I said, how close she came to conquering Equestria, not once but twice. So that's you know, so that's why Queen Crystalis, in my opinion, is number three on this list. Okay, guys, so at number two is Turek. Now, just like Crystalis, you would think maybe the number of roles should be reversed, right? Maybe, maybe, but um, I think Turek ranks up here because he actually, for a temporary time, conquered Equestria. Well, at least Cantalot, for that matter. He actually did that. Um, and the fact that he's also someone that, as a villain, you know, has a lot of history uh, behind him. He knows a lot about things that other, that could be, you know, vital information to other villains if he teams up with them, as we saw, like, in the last season. But the other thing about him, too, is he's a very conniving, slithering, just demonic-like... Well, he is a demonic creature, but the thing is, he's just a conniving, slithering, manipulative um, character to the point that he convinces... Or he works with another villain, and that villain we'll talk about in a little bit, and you know who that is, and why they're going to rank up, up what they're going to be. But he goes as far as to work with someone on the outside while he's in Tartarus to try to get revenge on Twilight and her friends. I mean, he even tells Twilight and her friends when they're in Tartarus and they end up trapped there temporarily... That it's sweet revenge for him. Because 
he wants to get back at Twilight and her friends for stopping him of this stopping from stopping him of this uh basically what I'm trying to get at. Hold on for a sec. But basically he wants to be uh get back at Twilight and her friends for stopping him in destroying Equestria. That's what I was trying to get at. But yeah. He like I said, he goes as far as to you know, work with somebody on the outside to get revenge on them. Um, the other thing that makes him a great villain is the fact that he's very manipulative and he's able to manipulate other villains, you know, or villains that are trying to be redeemed but fall backwards, like Discord. We all know that in Season 4, Discord was manipulated to going back to the side of evil only to be betrayed and he ended up being the final key that the main six needed to defeat Turek. But yeah, Turek to me had probably more success than Crystal's because he actually, a bet for a time, just for a bit, just for a brief period, very brief period, he was sitting on the throne of Cantalot of Equestria as if he was the ruler, he was king. So... So yeah, he's a very intimidating villain. I mean, like I said, he has history on his side. And I, I don't think you can say any more than that. You know, like I said, he has history on his side. You know, he understands the significance of certain situations. So yeah, I definitely would rank uh, Turek up here at number two. There's no doubt about it. For all those various reasons, if not more. Okay, guys. So at number one, obviously, it's no get. There's no surprising guess on it. I mean, I alluded to it just in the second when I talked about Tyrek. Number one is Cozy Glow, and I know you guys are thinking, well, Cozy was only a villain for was only like the main villain for the series or at least the main antagonist for the for the series towards the end of season eight that is true but here's the thing josh scorcher said it best josh scorcher said it best in his review of school rays which was the two-part season eight finale that when you get down to what Cozy Glow was doing throughout the season, especially the second half of season eight, up to the finale, if you look at all that from perspective, Cozy Glow as a foil, a child, almost accomplished what no one else could do. She almost conquered Equestria. Yes, she had help from the inside of Tartarus, thanks to Tyrek, you know, keeping in contact with him. But she came this close, closer than anybody would have thought, to conquering all of Equestria. And basically, she did it by using her words in her mind. I mean, a lot of people during the Bronies React uh, video, especially the bonus portion of it for Season 8, uh, even said it best. That she was able to adapt on the fly. And that was the one thing I pointed out about her too. She was able to adapt on the fly to the whole situation, to whatever situation she was given. 
Like when she thought Starlight was going to go with Twilight and the rest of the main seven on their trip to Tartarus to question Turek on what was going on. You know, she had to adapt. She had to adapt to the fact she had to adapt to that situation when she found out Starlight was going to stay behind. When Nase tried to take over the school and put it under the E EDA uh, guidebook or whatever it is, make it basically what it should be, a ponies only school. Cozy Glow, knowing that she had to get around him now, took his words, adapted the situation, and was able to convince the student body to go against Naysay. Heck, when the student six, young six, if you will, were on the verge of saving uh, the school, or at least, yeah, they were on the verge of trying to save the school, Cozy Glow shows up with the student body. He overhears what Ocellus is saying and uses that against the student six to manipulate the student body to go against them. So when you look at Cozy Glow as a character, yes, she's a foil. Yes, she's a filly. But she's a very smart one. She's a very adaptable one. And she came, like I said, this close. Closer than any other character. Any other character to conquering Equestria. And she only did it using her mouth, her words, and her mind. You know, I mean, she even showed that in Season 9 during the team-up episodes she had with Turek and Chrysalis. So... There is no doubt, in my opinion, that despite the fact that she was the main villain for one season, and she had uh, various moments in the final season, or she had her moments in too, I should say, Cozy Glow, in my opinion, is probably the most diabolical villain in the history of the show. I mean, heck, she even for a brief period was able to manipulate and trick her fellow villains, Turek and Crystalis, in testing Discord's chaos magic on her, resulting in that version of her that had bat-like wings, bat-like ears, whatever, and her calling them fools. So, it shows you how diabolical a villain like that can be. And the fact, again, like I said, she was this close, closer than anybody, to ruling Equestria just by mind and what she said. So, so yeah, Cozy Glow, number one, no doubt. And that's going to pretty much do it, in my opinion, for my top five villains in MLP FIM, My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. Let me know if you agree with my um, list. Count, comment down below. Love to hear from each and every one of you. I know you're going to probably bring, probably bring up, like I said, Sunset and Tempest being in that category. And they should be. Consider those two like honorable mentions because of what they were able to do. But in my opinion, those are my top five uh, from MLP FIM. Let me know what you think down below. Comment if you like, and I'll talk to you all later.